Uh, welcome and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Jane Irrigation Training Series. I'm your host, Richard Rastusha, and today we're going to be talking about something that is more important, I think, than ever in the 20 plus years I've been in that in this industry. And that is how do you, what strategies do you use for your irrigation with such a short supply of water? And this is actually going to take a little bit of work over the winter season, so that uh, that you're so you're ready to know. So uh, fortunately for us, uh, Corey Broad, territory sales manager for Jane, is with us today to teach us what we need to do to prepare uh, so that we are ready for next season. And man, I know he and I both pray it rains a lot this winter, but if it doesn't. Uh, we better be ready. So those of you who have seen Corey present before, you know what an excellent uh, teacher he is. Uh, he was the uh, Madeira Agriculturist of the Year uh, a few years ago. He's got all the right certifications for irrigation, that's for sure. But he even takes it one step further. He's a certified crop advisor as well. Uh, and then uh, what Corey really possesses that I think is so important for all of you uh, and all of his customers uh, that aren't on today is he's got a real passion for agriculture, uh, doing it right, and uh, and irrigation. He really likes the technology around the irrigation as well. So we all get the benefit of that today. So Corey, uh, thanks for joining. Uh, we really uh, appreciate you being here today. I appreciate it, Richard. And and as always, the kind words. And um, you know, we were talking about kind of what to continue to present on, and and where where's the discourse in the industry, and where are we. Uh, this presentation actually was created about a month ago. I had the opportunity to speak at the uh, Crop Consultant Conference in Visalia, California, and working with um, the Certified Crop Advisors Board, they really wanted to talk about water and talk about kind of what we will be dealing with here as uh, crop advisors and as growers, uh, especially in California and in Central California. And they said, you're, you're the right person to talk about irrigation strategy. And so that's really the foundation for, for what this talk is. And I think it's timely uh, to your point that we're kind of at the end of the season, not that farming ever seems to stop, especially in California. But this is really a culmination of the end of the season. What does the horizon look like from a water scarcity standpoint? Uh, what's, a, what's available uh, technology and product wise? And what are, you know, what are five things that we can sit down and say, you know what, for water resiliency and planning going forward, what can I do on my farm? What can I do as a crop advisor? What can I do as an irrigation dealer to continue to add value? Because again, we're going to be under tremendous pressure. Um, even if it rains the entire winter, uh, we're just so far behind at this point, it, it's going to take everybody pitching in. So that's um, the foundation for this presentation. And I think as you and I talked, some of this stuff has been pulled from other presentations, but this is this is kind of a mass summary, if you will, of what we can do. Yeah, I think something else that's really interesting, Corey, is this uh, concept of strategy for irrigation. We haven't really talked about this much in the past 20 years. Now, now we've got researchers actually looking at things like, well, if we're going to underwater, when's the best time to do that? Because we're probably going to have to underwater. So, uh, so that's what I think is so fascinating about the material that you bring today. So uh, I'm really excited to get going on it. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, and uh, yeah, you kind of did the introduction. So this slide is uh, maybe obsolete, but 
um, yeah, I've had the opportunity to, to gain a number of skill sets throughout the years, uh, especially while working at Jane Irrigation. And I'll always uh, be appreciative of that. And I even threw the link up for my other presentation for you know some of our other trainings that, that you host every single week. And we appreciate the effort you put in on that and, and make it easy for us as presenters to uh, you know share our knowledge and, and experiences. So um, again, kind of the foundation of, of why we are where we are and, and why we're here today is you know this graphic on the left-hand side is from 2021. And if you can imagine the 2022 graphic would actually be even worse than this and uh, worse is relative, I suppose, but uh, things are challenging right now. And, and California as a state, not just agriculture, but as a state, relies on 40% of its water supply to come from the ground. And with Sigma and, and some of these other things coming up, that's gonna uh, be a challenge. And they're working on well moratoriums and a, a number of different uh, strategies to reduce water um, use as a state. And unfortunately, it's gonna disproportionately impact agriculture. And so 2022 is worse than 2021. I put up 600,000 acres here being uh, idle this year in California. It's probably somewhere closer to about 580,000 at this point, but in general discourse, it was about 600,000. And uh, I talked about Sigma there a moment ago. Um, we're going to be limiting groundwater restrictions. And I, I put up a couple of different numbers here of you know, 0.6 acre feet, uh, 1.3 acre feet per acre. These are the things that we're going to see going forward. These are real numbers. Uh, this is uh, what's going on in the local discourse. And it's going to impact, again, about 1 to 1.1 million acres permanently uh, across the state. So um, we need to be, these numbers need to become pretty familiar in our lingo. And these are the things that we need to think about from crop planning to irrigation system design to your point earlier. What can we do to economically grow a crop, still have good economic, uh, agronomic principles, and, and still turn a profit at the end of the year by using less water? And these are all um, things that we're going to have to become really comfortable with. Yeah, so Corey, we, uh, we, I want to remind everybody the chat and the Q&A is open. And so if you have some questions or comments for Corey or myself, please put them in there and I'll uh, interject them when appropriate. But first question already is this. So Sigma is already limiting the amount of water growers can use. Yep, it depends on uh, basically where you are. You know, if you're inside an irrigation district, if you're in a white area, kind of what the plan is. They have uh, GSAs, which is Groundwater Sustainability Agencies. Generally, they are water districts or counties or areas that uh, I'll say common interest, if you will. And they're having to come up with GSPs, which is a plan for groundwater sustainability long term. And um, the largest water district in the world, which is roughly 520,000 acres of cropland, is saying next year that it's going to be 1.3 acre feet per acre pumping cap. And so if you get additional surface water supplies, that, that will help. But the reality is, is you, you can't go out and turn on the pump as long as you want anymore. Wow. So I think 1.3 acre feet is not much water. Not in the grand scheme of things. I think when you look at uh, cotton, corn, melons, tomatoes, that's about two and a half acre feet per acre. Uh, you start thinking about kind of your tree crops. Um, you're, you're getting into that three and a half to four acre feet per acre. So there's going to be some really challenging decisions that have already started being made by growers because you have to start planning for that well in advance and, and contracts and things. But yeah, the, this is the kind of deer in the headlight moment for everyone. Yeah, it's kind of spooking me today, that's for sure. 
So uh, Halloween's over, so we got to keep keep moving. So what are we going to do to deal with it? I think that the first thing is uh, partner with a professional. You know, if, if I'm advising a grower, find a certified crop advisor, find somebody who is licensed by the Irrigation Association. If you're an irrigation dealer, be involved in the IA, be licensed by the IA, consider being involved with the certified crop advisors if it, if it uh, fits kind of what your business does. I think there's a lot of uh, synergies there uh, between the uh, two associations. They have tons of knowledgeable professionals. I did kind of a quick web search just based on uh, what I could find on the websites, but there's 87 certified crop advisors in California with water management expertise. Hmm. Um, I guess 86 others other than myself and uh, kind of narrowing it down to the Irrigation Association. There's 21 drip micro CIDs in California and there's 58 certified ag irrigation specialists in California. And I can tell you that there's still a lot of other really knowledgeable professionals out there, but these are the people that have, you know, gone on and, and participated in certification, uh, put in effort, put in time to continue to know practices. Uh, these people are probably pretty versed in Sigma because, again, they're, they're spending time to learn um, the, the industry and kind of what's impacting it. Uh, water proficiency is a must-have for growers and their advisors. And um, I think kind of working in the irrigation business and what I see, we tend to be more construction based in, in general, especially on the ag side. And so we tend to be a little less agronomic where we would lend um, that to a pest control advisor or a certified crop advisor. I think that businesses have a unique opportunity of blending skill sets from both. I know we've done that here at Jane Irrigation uh, with multiple certified crop advisors where we're doing water management for customers now. Because we have this agronomic skill set, we have this background that it gives us the opportunity to uh, not only make great products, but now leverage that product in the field and use it to its fullest extent. Yeah. So, Corey, thank you for having um, this um, education and credential, because when I look at the numbers here and I just think of the Central Valley and how many growers are there, it's not very many. Then if you throw the Imperial Valley in and Salinas Valley and everything around Sacramento, I think, wow, um, we, there's some room here for uh, some more people to get get involved in this industry, because certainly uh, we need the help. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm on the certification board now for the Irrigation Association. So you, you know that credentials are a, a passion of mine. And uh, I, I encourage anybody who's interested, please reach out. We'd, we'd love to see more people show up at the IA show. Uh, obviously, we'd love to network with you and then also get you involved in, in uh, licensing programs. Yeah, no, that's great. So the next step would be investing in irrigation. And I wanna start with the irrigation system, which obviously as a manufacturer of, of you know, major parts and, and components uh, near and dear to my heart. Uh, but the reality is, is we have to put in really good systems. And when I think about, again, certified crop advisors, I'm speaking to a diverse group uh, normally, is they're helping growers invest each season because they're coming up with practices and compost, uh, fertilizer recommendations, all these different uh, like kind of long-term investment style uh, purchases. Irrigation is the same thing. This is a 20, 25 year uh, amortized investment and it needs to be treated as such. And you know, even starting with the simplest of the questions is the irrigation system type right? I had fortunate enough to give a tour this morning around the Fresno State farm and there's almond blocks with sprinklers there's some with double line drip there's some with both there's some with none 
uh, it has to be the right fit for what you're growing and what you're doing. And again, as a drip and micro manufacturer, yeah, drip and micro sprinkler are probably the best option. But again, there is considerations for flood and furrow and sprinkler irrigation. That's the, the most important thing. And then obviously, again, as a manufacturer, are the products good? The system has to be right, but the products that support and build that system have to be good. Obviously, something that's near and dear to our hearts is our warranty. Our heavy wall and mid-line and tubing have a 10-year warranty. Not many other people can touch that. And that you know, shows growers that, yes, you're making this major investment. And we're making it with you by backing our product. Um, another hot topic is, is uh, energy, especially in California, as we kind of have these interesting initiatives as far as kind of what we're going to be doing for a power grid going forward. But uh, Eric Olson gave a presentation last week talking about uh, energy rates and how much they've changed in the last 15 years in California. And from an ag side, it's, it's basically doubled. And I don't see that changing anytime soon, especially as California has a 2050 energy initiative, which isn't that far away. Um, just something to continue to consider. Uh, fertigation, we're applying uh, a mass amount of our fertility to our cropland via the irrigation system today. So just a tidbit from the ITRC is the uniformity of the fertilizer can't be greater than that of the irrigation system. So if you're spending time writing good recs as a certified crop advisor and you're coming up with good fertility programs and you're investing and spending money on calcium and nitrogen and all these things, and then you go and you put it on ununiformly because you didn't invest in the irrigation system, you're hurting your initial investment and you're hurting your long-term investment. That's why it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. Really great points. So the second part of this is investing in technology. And I think this tracks really well with our company in that, you know, since I've been here since 2015, we've invested in technology heavily. You've been a big part of that, Richard, and helping with the integration and, and also managing some of that. Um, you have to get out there. You have to put technology in your field. There's good providers. Uh, obviously, we're one of them. Um, and the things that I think of from an ag side is soil moisture probes. Uh, you can get moisture. You can get EC. You can kind of track fertigation with that. Uh, they're reliable and they're inexpensive, all things considered. Um, that leads me into automation. You can ask Jeff Tool, uh, and what we're doing on the uh, Jane Logic side of our business is it's obviously helping reduce labor. Um, it's uh, going to increase your efficiency around the farm and with your water use, because maybe it's not, hey, Richard, we have to run a 10-hour set today because my guy's got to go home at 5. Well, maybe I can have it turn off at 8 p.m., and maybe that was the right irrigation schedule, but I can now do that without having to worry about some of these other things. Uh, and talking to Jeff, I mean, our automation requests have tripled uh, this year because, again, labor challenges and then also the opportunity to use water more efficiently. Um, something that as a water manager that's important to me is the software. It's something that I interact with every day. I'm essentially a customer of Jane at this point because I'm using the products and I'm using the service to provide value to growers. And so the software has to be insightful. It has to be reliable and it has to be easy to use. The, the Jane Logic C3 box that I have on the left-hand side, I mean, that could be tiger striped uh, pink and green. It probably doesn't matter because I'm not going to interact with it much. Uh, the reality is, is the software is something I use all the time. And I know we've, we've spent a, a ton of time and effort really developing software and giving good management insights. And then obviously something that's grown uh, in scale big time in agriculture is imagery. Uh, satellite imagery is low cost. The resolution and revisit rates is increasing with every satellite we send into the sky. And what I'll say on the imagery front to summarize that is there's no wrong answer except not implementing it. Uh, it, it it's available 
and it fits all different economic models, you, you should be using it on your farm because we're having to do more with less, you're having to cover more acres, and we have to get some visibility on that. Yeah, I love what you uh, said, especially about the, um, the interface, right? Because it is the software, it's what you're working with, and is it easy to use? And I think maybe we're going to see some screenshots, but uh, I love yeah. how easy it is to uh, just look at my field every morning and say, um, <clears throat> underwater, overwater, what, what is the situation? I can get it visually when I'm having my first cup of coffee and know exactly what I have to do uh, for, for that day. I can generally make a week's worth of decisions in about 15 minutes. And that's, that's with a pretty good in-depth look at it at 5, 12 in the morning. So um, it, it, it doesn't take a, a ton of, uh, I'll say, brain power and, and concentration because the system gets set up right. And then it's just giving you this information. It's giving you recommendations and then you can easily implement it. So um, kind of, again, just touching on satellite imagery and water use. Um, from our end, it kind of gives us that opportunity to really build confidence when we're doing water budgeting, because we're doing this imagery in conjunction with uh, weather data, uh, crop functions, and really gives you a, a field-specific management view of what's going on. Um, each week, you're getting a calculation and an image, and it's showing you literally how much water your field is using, uh, kind of is what the graphic on the left-hand side is showing. Um, and then obviously in imagery standpoint, we're adding more value by giving NDVI. So we're giving you ETC mapping, water use mapping and uniformity. And then we're also giving you what's the health of that crop? What's the, the reflectance of that crop, which is a standardized measurement across uh, all of the industry to know that, yes, this crop is performing well, or no, I have a problem. What is it? I don't know. But instead of walking all of this 540 acres, maybe I can go drive to an area pretty quick and, and understand. So I uh, just felt like it was really important to kind of uh, hammer back on that again. And this imagery package from us is included with Jane Logic, but if you just wanted to do the imagery on a standalone, it's $4 per acre. No hardware in your field. We, we call it Jane Logic sensorless, uh, pretty creative. But again, it, it's readily available off the shelf products that can make a difference. Yeah, $4. I mean, what, <laughs> that seems like nothing, especially when I uh, figure out the value of my field. Uh, or water. This is, this is really uh, inexpensive insurance. 100%. Yeah. So we've talked about partnering with the right people. We've put in a good system. Now we have to start working on the planning part of it, which is really, in my mind, water budgeting. I think if you look at each month uh, throughout a growing season, especially if you're uh, used to growing a particular commodity or crop, you're gonna have a pretty good idea uh, of, of what to expect uh, throughout given weeks. Obviously weather and climate are two different things and there's gonna be seasonality and there's gonna be some changes, but the reality is uh, I very rarely has it not been hot in July in Fresno in my life. So I have a pretty good idea that it's could be 95, could be 100 and it could be 105. And so uh, I know that. And so I, I plan around that uh, accordingly. And it's no different when irrigating. Um, so kind of, again, sitting down and budgeting out for the season, I'm going to need roughly this many inches of water, plus 10% and minus 10%. And then you can kind of build a, a cropping map from there. Um, something that's popped up more and more in discourse is delaying spring irrigation events. Obviously, I'm talking about you know, almonds, walnuts, pistachios, um, things that, that, are, that are more fixed. Obviously, when you plant cotton or you plant corn, you're planting to moisture and you're just at the mercy of what that weather is at that time. Um, it's a little different setup, but 
again, we have 2 million acres of permanent crops just on the tree side in California, or I should say tree nut side. So uh, the, the impact is, is massive to get that right. I think I look back at last year being a, a really dry year from a water perspective uh, in our winter and spring, we still saw six inches of rainfall um, in a pretty condensed period in the Central Valley. And so I think if you can kind of start to understand your soil's uh, texture and structure, you can kind of expand this budget and really focus on saving water because you kind of know the water's there and then you know how much you're going to use. And then you can really say, you know what, Richard, on this day is probably when we're going to start irrigating. And so I think you, you kind of now take the soil characteristics and field characteristics into play. And so um, you can really understand how much of that water is uh, accessible to you and your crop. So again, what's your soil type? What are their uh, constituents that are in there? I just threw some things up, sodium boron compaction, things that can affect osmotic potential, water availability, et cetera. Um, knowing the rooting depth of your crop, uh, especially with trees, you can see third leaf pistachios on the left-hand side here. Uh, they were different the year before, and then they were different in year four, and then in year five, and in year six. So uh, you have to understand what, what area does my crop have access to? How big is the trough, if you will? That way I can determine how much water is available. Um, of course, having a soil moisture probe, it can really help you kind of uh, start to estimate and calculate uh, plant available water, and then maybe even delay those spring irrigation events. Yeah, so Corey, a couple of questions coming in. Uh, the first one uh, I'm seeing here, um, knowing your root depth of your crop. Uh, if you don't know, where, where can you find that information? With a backhoe and in your field. <laughs> um, I, I think that that's step one. I mean, I had lunch with a grower yesterday that we work with on about 4,000 acres of pistachios. And there is no substitute for your shadow in a field. Um, but the reality is, is, is probe data is super helpful. There's obviously going to be research from, in our case, like the UC extension system um, that's going to help you. But actually going out and we dig backhoe pits on the ranches every year to say, okay, here's how far out they are. Here's how deep it is. Here's what the tree has access to. And then we can build, again, a plan around that. We're, we're just guiling it in further every year on how tight we can manage that. Yeah. Okay, great. Then uh, the next question coming in is um, this, uh, do you address the crop cover practice for irrigation? Um, I don't really have that in here. I think we're talking about cover crops and it's something that we're paying attention to. The biggest challenge becomes with cover cropping. And, and else, first off, I should say, it's great to see that the practice is increasing and that there's more discourse around it. Traditionally, people were under the um, belief that putting a cover crop in takes away nutrients, it takes away water, we're already uh, paying for nutrients, we're already challenged by water, why would I add to that? I'm not saying that those things don't happen, I'm saying that there's other maybe existential benefits that we're starting to realize, and, and I, I see the practice increasing, and I see people um, being rewarded for doing it, both agronomically, but also economically. Um, it's not something that I really go into today. And the biggest challenge is um, if you have a double line drip system in say an almond orchard, which is, I don't know, I'll say 1 million of the one and a half million acres. Um, how do I irrigate that crop? Well, I need to have another system for it. And I think that maybe we can almost roll all the way back to the first slide, Richard, which is what's your system type? Should, should you consider that before planting the orchard? Or can you add that system later? Or should the system be big enough to handle it? 
that's again, partner with professionals and then invest in the system that you know you're going to use. Unfortunately, if you have a 10 year old almond orchard on double line drip, yeah, you can probably do it, but there's going to be some probably pretty heavy challenges versus if I come in today and plant a new orchard, maybe I put in a, a solid set sprinkler system using a Jane mini revolver where I'm getting 85% uh, coverage and I can grow a, a relatively healthy cover crop. Right now, most growers are just trying to plant to moisture and then basically terminating that crop uh, or, or you know, putting it back into the soil profile in March. I, I see an increased opportunity there for sure. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. um, again, kind of staying on the soil side of things, I mean, just kind of walking through an example. If I look at like Western Fresno County, we tend to have heavier soils, so clays, loam, so on and so forth just kind of shooting down the middle. If I say that based on a, a soil chart that I have 1.5 inches of available water holding capacity, so it can hold 1.5 inches of water per foot of soil, and I have a three foot root zone, and it rained just over six inches, is that water plant available? Obviously having a probe will help you with that, but you could start using uh, some calculations to understand that I have four and a half inches of plant available water, it's three foot deep times one and a half inches per foot. And now all of a sudden I can say that's what's in my piggy bank to start the year. I'm not starting the year with an empty one. Now I'm going to use that water. And in a, I'm talking about in, in the circumstances we're in where, hey, I'm not going to get any surface water this year. If I have to go to the open market, water is $1,000 to $2,000 per acre foot. You're talking about if you had to uh, irrigate almonds on open open ground water, you're talking about four to $8,000 an acre just in securing the water, not even applying it. Um, that, that, that's just not sustainable at all in any model. So this is really extrapolating, calculating, and then implementing um, you know, some pretty unique uh, ideas. So um, again, this process right now is, as I'm describing it, is kind of done with some generalizations and publicly information, uh, publicly available information, which these charts I got from uh, different soil websites or UC, um, a soil test, that's why it's in bold, uh, it's going to be the best method for dialing in this process. They can help you understand based on not just texture, but structure and constituents, what your soil can do for you. But um, yeah, ask not what you can do for your soil, but what, for what it can do for you. Uh, I, I think if you get that information, it's really rewarding. So uh, thank you, Corey. We have another question coming in too. And this question is, does Jane provide water management for small irrigation districts regarding uh, the delaying of the spring irrigation start date from the reservoir? Yeah, I think that there's a, a discussion to be had. I mean, obviously, uh, I don't know, maybe I, I toss it back to you, Richard, with kind of what we're doing on the ag tech side. I know Eric Olson's going to be giving a presentation on Friday that's pretty exciting about how ag tech just got a lot better. Um, so I don't want to maybe let the cat too far out of the bag. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll turn that to you, but we are getting to district level monitoring. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I, I would definitely say tune in Friday for our, and it's just not a, a convenient teaser. Uh, we've got a big announcement coming Friday. It'll be really interesting to see what we're adding to our ag tech that is going to actually make this uh, very easy for us to do. Everything from right at that spot on a farm to actually being able to work with the irrigation districts in mass. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> right. <Okay. laughs> no spoiler alert. Yeah, Needed, right? 
Um, so kind of just following through this example, again, when I gave this talk, it was in Visalia, California, and I pulled some, some UC, uh, these are, are crop water use numbers by uh, date periods for almonds, walnuts, and pistachios, which are kind of the, the letter designations. And so if I look at the beginning of the season, that's springtime, April 1 to May 15th in Visalia, almonds are expected full mature 5.7 two inches, walnuts, 5.8, almost right there. But pistachios are about half that because they leaf out later. Again, did it rain six inches or more in the winter and spring? Did your soil hold that water? Is it actually available? If you can start answering these questions, I think you see where I'm going. Did I need to irrigate when I did? Or did I just do it because, well, that's when my neighbor does it, or that's when I've always done it, or that's the safe thing to do? Unfortunately, uh, those questions or answers to those questions are becoming more and more expensive every day. So getting this right is, is well worth the time. Um, just showing people, this is a soil moisture probe in Western Fresno County. This was one of our rain events during December. I mean, water got down, there was a moisture increase down to 20 inches. So if you can start learning that and quantifying that and, and then calculating it and using it, I know that water's getting down almost two feet on a single rain event which again, we only had six inches of rain total. So Corey, I've seen these charts a lot, but mm -hmm. I'm still unclear <laughs> of how you know it got down 20 inches. For sure. Um, so that's, the circle was part of it, right, to help. Um, but each of these different lines, kind of starting with the red line, if you will, um, that's a four inch depth, depth sensor, an eight inch, a 12 inch, so every four inches all the way down, uh, the screen is showing to 36 inches. And you can see that the, the chart kind of spike up. You can see uh, kind of, you know, these increases here, especially this sharp increase, that tells me that, that water is cascading through the profile. It's working its way down through because the, the moisture unit levels at these depths are increasing. Therefore, the moisture is increasing in the soil around that probe area. So um, again, as a, as a water manager, we're, we're happy to help you with that. Um, but if you, you have the technology, we can also kind of be in the background um, in, in helping calculate this. Yeah, and so I can see this on any, you know, internet connected computer and, and I don't have to go out there with the backhoe and dig to see it's, um, it's there for me. It's my real opportunity to see what's under the soil line. I look at it from my phone and, yeah. and that phone could be in, in the car, hopefully not driving, uh, could be on the golf course, could be in your office, could be anywhere. Um, it, it really gives you an opportunity to uh, be there without being there. And, and again, hopefully give you some comfortability in what's going on. Yeah. Wow. That's really uh, helpful. Talking about delaying spring irrigation events, this is a pistachio orchard that, that I've helped manage. And um, it doesn't really have the chronology built into it. But if you take the left-hand side of this chart, that would be January 1. And where you see these spikes start up right here, these are irrigation events. That was May 9th is when we started irrigating. I knew that we had enough water in the soil profile based on having all of this data and information from soil tests and probes. I knew or had some demand budgeting already done. And I said, we don't need to run the irrigation system until May. And they said, how do you know that? And then I presented the information and they said, yeah, that's huge. Because if we would have gone back and followed the, I need to put on 3.6 inches worth of water, 
well, I didn't have 3.6 inches of water. <laughs> I would have had to have gone and buy it or bought it. So that's a major, major dollar savings uh, two months into the season. <laughs> yeah, that's really significant. And I think too, like you say, the, um, the tendency or the desire is going to want to be to put a lot of water down right in the beginning, April. And there's, I'm not saying that people are wrong. I, I grew up that way. I you walk out and you turn the switch and you press the button and the pump turns on and water comes out. We just can't do it anymore. And, and that's what we're faced with. And it takes all of these ideas and concepts to, to start working towards uh, what the future is going to look like. Well, and to have the peace of mind actually using the technology and saying, okay, I know this for sure. Yep. Uh, instead of, I have a feeling. Trust and verify, trust yeah. and verify. And uh, so obviously one of the latter parts of this is just going to be irrigation scheduling because we've figured out what our demand is, our system's running great, we have all the right people in the right places, uh, and we're, we're calculating it to the nth degree, but then if you don't go put it into practice, all of that is for naught. Um, I put this in bold at the top because it's something that I've been uh, thinking about more and more recently, and it's that my opinion is that what more water is wasted, and I use that in quotations, via poor irrigation scheduling than really due to a lack of maintenance. That doesn't mean you can't not maintain your system because uh, really in the long run, you cannot have efficient irrigation event or application without good maintenance. Uh, but we've talked about you know, water use. If I need to put on two inches of water to these trees, should I do it all in one shot? Should I do it in four? Should I do it in 20? I, I don't know, but that's part of understanding the schedule and understanding what your soil can take, what your system can, can put out, how much is available to your crop. You're really trying to answer how much water and how often to apply it. And, yeah. and then, go ahead. So this question of a poor irrigation schedule, how, how do you define that? not using water as efficiently as possible. I, I think, again, it, it, it sounds silly, but if I know that I need to put on two inches this week, and let's just say that that converts to 48 hours of runtime. Most systems, even if they're low flow systems, I shouldn't put on 48 hours in a row. I shouldn't turn it on Monday morning and turn it off Wednesday morning. That, that's probably not the answer. Also, if I tell you, Richard, hey, I need you to go irrigate for two hours at a time, and I need you to do it 24 times that week, you're probably going to fire me as a water manager pretty quickly. Right. There, so go into the how much can I apply? That's, that's labor, that's energy, your system capacity, your water scarcity. That's going to start defining it. The how much should I apply finishes that off because there's the crop demand side, which we, in this case, said was two inches, but soil capacity, if you go put on two inches and one, a half an inch of it runs off, that's not a really good irrigation event, is it? Right. Um, so what's that soil capacity? What's the environmental impact? Maybe it all goes into the soil, but only half of it stays in the root zone. <laughs> then what? Uh, th there's these things that come in. And so again, as a water manager, I'm using this technology the same way that I'm asking my growers to use it to uh, understand very quickly how to make these decisions. And again, the answer is generally probably somewhere in the middle where, yeah, maybe a 24 hour set is okay, or maybe it is for 12 hour sets. It just depends on your unique situation.
Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. Um, so just again, kind of an example of roadmap because I usually speak to a pretty diverse audience, but you know, a common application rate for micro and drip systems are going to be 0.03 to 0.05 inches per hour. And uh, a fun trick, if you take your gallons per minute applied uh, divided by your acres, and then you divide that by a constant of 452.6, you will find out inches per hour. So when we talked about uh, you know, 48 hours being two inches, you can, again, if I take 400 gallons a minute on a 40 acre system, that's 10 gallons per minute per acre. I divide it by 452.6. Now I know my gross application rate. Yeah. It doesn't factor in DU, but again, probably allows you to, to get started uh, pretty quickly. So an example of this, you know, if I have a six leaf pistachio orchard, so it's, it's getting to maturity, but it's not all the way there. And just say during a, a particular time period, I'm using 0.6 inches uh, per week. Uh, the clay loam soil, it's four sets. And I know my application rates 0.035 kind of went somewhere in the middle there. Um, means I need 18 hours per week of um, irrigation application. So to, to the point earlier, Richard, I, you probably don't want to be irrigating every single day because you're limited on labor and you have all these other things you have to do as a farmer. Our strategy might be let's irrigate 36 hour sets because it's clay loam soil and I know that it can hold it because I've done all this testing and I understand that. And I'm going to run 36 hour sets times four for six days straight. And then I'm going to turn it off on that Sunday. And then I'm off for the next eight days so that I have eight days to prune and uh, spray and work the do all the things that I need to do uh, and not give my guys overtime and all this other stuff and chase water around. This is an example of, of a real life scenario that we used this year working with a grower um, to, to use water as efficiently, but also as labor. Right, so this helps us understand, right, that if we have to put down, for the sake of easy math, an inch a week, uh, do I do it all in one shot? Do I do it in two shots of a half inch or three shots of a third of an inch? These are all the factors that play into it then. Yep. I mean, I have another field that I manage that's a fine sandy loam. It's not a clay. It's, uh, it's actually a lower application rate than the 0 0.035. And uh, before using some other products that we'll talk about here in a moment, I couldn't irrigate 24 hours straight because the water would go below four foot. It just right. fell through the soil profile. <laughs> that was a challenge. So it was irrigating because again, of hours and labor, we were irrigating 12 hour sets and we we're irrigating four times a week. So that's four times going to the field, turning it on, four times turning it off, four times checking for leaks. Um, we use some other products and then we changed that. So we'll kind of yeah. get into that in a moment. So, uh, Corey, have you seen any um, ag soil tests that actually show you percolation rates uh, uh, of the soil? There's a there's a different testing facilities that can help with that. Uh, I'm not necessarily familiar with them just because, again, there's there's quite a few uh, soil labs around here. Uh, but most of it, I could say you could understand pretty quickly because, again, most growers probably have an irrigation system on a similar soil type or even right next to it. Right. Uh, so they can maybe uh, blend off of some experience, but labs do a good job of telling you the soil structure, telling you the soil texture and, and giving you insights into uh, permeability as well. Right. Okay. All right. Thanks. So I told you maintenance 
can help you and it's important. And I've given whole webinars on this. I will be brief, but uh, the point is, is every field requires different flushing protocols, but they all require care. Flushing comes down to frequency, velocity, and duration. I want one and a half to two feet per second of velocity coming out of the end of the hose. Really few irrigation systems are designed with that actually in mind. So probably something to bring up when you're partnering with the right people and investing in irrigation is, hey, when I go to flush this or I go to maintain it, how hard is it? If I made you pull the engine every time you wanted your oil changed in your car, that probably wouldn't sell very many models. Um, that's literally as easy as it needs to be. Um, just, you know, again, food for thought. If you have a, an eighth mile run, which is pretty standard on a double line drip system for in an orchard, 18 millimeter uh, tubing, you need 25 pounds of pressure at the head end of that in order to get your 1.5 feet per second. Uh, again, if you have a quarter mile tape run on seven eighths tape, you're gonna need 13 pounds of pressure. If you can't get that volume of water and that pressure, it probably wasn't designed right and something that needs to be looked at going forward. Uh, duration plays off of velocity. The faster you flush the water out of the end of the hose, the less time you have to do it. So if you have a 660 foot run and it's one and a half feet per second, my Fresno State math tells me that's 7.3 minutes to flush that line. Nobody I talk to usually flushes it that long because they're like, oh, it makes a mess or it ran clear. Well, rule of thumb is, is that 60% of your debris is in the first 40% of your line. So if you only evacuate half the line, you essentially just moved 60% of your debris to the far end of your line and left room for more stuff to stack up up front. You might've actually made it worse, believe it or not. Um, even at the correct velocity, if, if not enough time is given, you're just not getting the stuff out. So make sure you get the velocity right and then do it for the right amount of time. Uh, it'd be like brushing your teeth and doing it for five seconds. Well, yeah, probably some good was done, but probably didn't help you either when you go back to the dentist. Yeah, this is a really good point. And so it, really do the math is the answer because no go. matter how long, <laughs> this is what I take away, no matter how long I am flushing my system, it is not long enough. It never will be. And, and then of course, the next one is frequency. Well, how often do I flush? But I think it's like anything else. If you do a really, really good job all the time, every time, you may actually be able to do it less often. Uh, I, I'd say that again, it depends on the emission device type, your water quality, the economics of it, because if it's tape that I'm going to be um, disposing of at the end of the season, and I go out there and it costs me this much to flush it one last time, maybe it's not worth doing, maybe it is. Uh, but at the beginning of the season, that number is probably a lot different, right? Because I have a lot more to lose or a lot more risk. So um, you got to think about all those things. I'd say that most orchard micro irrigation systems need to be flushed at least every other month. Uh, systems that receive surface water need to be flushed monthly at a minimum. Uh, I have one particular field that I manage that even though it, it has no district water, it's just well water, we flush that field every month. We just have to. And so you just, you learn and, and uh, dissect, diagnose, and then implement. Water treatment, it's important, uh, really can play a large role in flushing protocols. And if you stop the growth or accumulation of material in the system, uh, continuous treatment can maybe delay or prolong these uh, flushing events. So you still have to do it for the right amount of time at the right velocity, but hey, Richard, instead of flushing six times this year, you need to flush three. Well, you what's the cost of that chemical? And then what's the cost of hiring me and labor guys to go do it? 
the chemical usually wins out because again, labor's not getting any cheaper. So just food for thought on that side. And then surfactants, I kind of alluded to that earlier. Something that's fairly new to Jane is that we partnered with Precision Laboratories and uh, we're, we're promoting and marketing uh, irrigation surfactants. And I think, you know, treating your water and your irrigation system shouldn't just be on the maintenance side. Uh, we've talked about that increased value uh, pressure on our water system. We need to make sure that every drop gets used uh, to, the, to the biggest uh, benefit we can. Adding surfactants is kind of no different than adding them to your spray tank. You're spending all this money on chemical or on fertilizer, and you're adding in adjuvants to, to you know, promote or increase the efficacy of those products. It's the same thing with using a surfactant. We found a ton of success using really four products that we're carrying. It's not uh, overly diverse or complicated um, in our water management services program. Uh, from one of my biggest experiences was I applied a, a product called Streta, which uh, basically increases water holding uh, potential of soil. And uh, my experiences was it cut my infiltration rate in half. And wow. so I could go from running 12 hour sets to 24 hour sets. So I went from running four days a week on average to running two days a week on average. And a majority of my fertilizer, my water landed in that 28 inch zone. Uh, obviously I could push it deeper if I wanted to. But the reality was, is my fertility program increased, our water use efficiency increased, and then I saved money on labor because I wasn't sending somebody out there two extra times every single week. So a uh, big difference for us. Yeah, that's, uh, that's huge. So this is the summary slide. Uh, I won't beat this one to death. I know we went a little bit long, um, but again, partner with the right people, invest in your irrigation system, create a water budget for each of your fields, and then work on a soil water budget. So we know what the crop's gonna use. Now it's how can we use it and apply it to the soil profile area? Cause that's really your irrigating the soil and then uh, improve your irrigation maintenance and scheduling. Uh, you have to do it. Um, you know, you talk about all the things I learn and I do. I put these in, these are snippets from uh, some of the publications that I read regularly and that the commodity magazines and you know, maintenance is key to success. Uh, information resources to make a plan for next year. What's the role of technology in your future orchard? When to begin your first irrigation? How can it impact yields? How do you calculate nut crop ET? These are all things that are out there. These are all discourses that are, that are being had. I just summarized it hopefully all into one platform for everybody. Corey, this was fantastic. I learned so much today. I really appreciate it. This was, uh, this was, you said you went long. It didn't seem like it because <laughs> we were getting solid, valuable information. So, uh, so thanks very much for doing that. We, uh, I certainly appreciate it. I know all the viewers do too. Uh, I want to thank all the viewers for uh, joining us again today. I know how busy everybody is right now. So we really appreciate that you take some of your day and spend it with us. Hopefully we're hitting the mark on the education. I know Corey did it today, that's for sure. Uh, remember, all of our 200 plus trainings are available to you for free at jamesusa.com forward slash trainings. You can find us there and uh, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. I love it that people are out there working and listening to the podcast. Corey, you had a comment on that. Yeah, I had one more for you. Uh, it is November. And for those of you who need, who need CEUs for Irrigation Association credentials, we do have trainings online that do... Uh, uh, cover that and are, are pre-approved by the IA. Um, I actually am happy to tell you that I've submitted all of my hours in 
for uh, my period. And so I'm, I'm done now, um, but I encourage everybody as it is November and it's fast approaching. So you can get some of those hours on our website uh, as well. Yeah, that's a great reminder, Corey. Thank you because yeah, it's almost the end of the year. So yeah, you don't have to be panicked. We have plenty of time to catch up. So, okay. Well, listen, uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, remember, we're back on Friday at noon to talk about uh, uh, new ag tech uh, acquisition uh, that, that Jane has made. It's going to be very exciting, very interesting for all of you. So hopefully we'll see you back then. Uh, thanks, everybody. Have a good rest of your day. Bye now.